0: Live from the Great White North, this is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed
1: in the markets. Hosted by Brayden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to The Canadian Investor. I'm Simon Belanger, joined by my co-host Brayden Dennis. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Brayden, how's it going? How are you uh, handling that loss uh, from the Leafs that play and not even making the playoffs?
0: It's uh, It's been a tough go, man. It's been a tough go. They had the most incredible comeback I've ever seen in the uh, the fourth game there with like three, three goals in three minutes and 28 seconds or something with all the six guys, the same six guys on the ice when they pulled the goalie. And even after that, it's like they'll find a way to disappoint us. They'll find a way. But as you know, I'm also a Calgary Flames fan, and uh, they beat the Stars last night and uh, looked really good. So at least there's still some hope as a Flames fan as well. But man, it is uh, it is a tough time to be a Leafs fan as always. So, uh, <laughs> but man, I've been watching so much hockey. Did you see the outrageous quintuple overtime yesterday with Columbus and the, the Lightning?
1: Uh, no, I mean, obviously, I, I kind of I watch the highlights, but I can just imagine, my God, like how bad those uh, Columbus Blue Jacket players must feel after giving it all out. Like it, I mean, good for them if they end up winning the series. I don't know how you come back from that. Just saw the uh, the energy you you kind of expended during that game, right?
0: Yeah, no kidding. With Capuero with 84-85 uh, saves. New NHL record, Seth Jones with 65 minutes. I was like, holy... I stopped watching the third overtime uh, because, you know, I had to move on. But, oh, my God, what a game. Um, Enough about hockey. Oh, it's good that sports is back, though, man.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, as a side note, I'm a Habs fan, so I'm having a great time. I feel like I'm free-rolling right now watching, watching the Habs play, not thinking they would make the playoffs.
0: You guys... You guys are uh, on borrowed time even being in the playoffs, but hey, got to give it to you. You guys are are playing well, man. (laughs) It's good to see. Um, So on that same note, talking hockey, talking Canada, there has been a pullback in tech stocks the last couple days. I don't know if you've been following that. Seems like there's some rotation to value right now that – you know, was somewhat expected with the crazy run up in tech valuations. Uh, Some of it deserving for sure. Uh, There's been some really, really great results coming out. Earnings season's coming to a, coming to a close here. I can't remember the last like earning season where I actually read every report Uh, of a lot of some big names that were not in my portfolio. Like I always read earnings reports for every company in the portfolio, but it seemed like everything was on my radar. So what's what's happening in this coronavirus economy? So that was interesting to watch. I'm going to rifle through some of the best performing technology companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange to potentially put on your watch list as you know, there could be a pullback. A lot of these companies are really solid. So this is a screen for tech stocks on the TSX that have returned at least 30% Um, and, and have 1 billion in market cap because, you know, I'm not going to just throw out some names, some tickers for you to look at, you know, that went from a 26 million in market cap to like, you know, 50 million in market cap, you know, it still might not be investable for you if you don't go to micro cap. So 30% returns minimum and a billion in market cap in the tech sector. So. I saw a, a name here that I didn't even know about until I did this screen. Face Drive. Face Drive. <laughs> when I heard the name of Face Drive, I thought it was the, the scene in The Other Guys when Will Ferrell presents his face back opportunity. Um, I don't know if you know if you know that movie. That is, is a great movie, by the way. So face Drive is up 780%. You heard that right. Year to date. 780%. They do ride-sharing. Uh, next best at a, at a uh, very low-key, 195% up on the years. is the Chibo. And um, we got to get Claudio, the CEO on the podcast. He reached out on Twitter because he retweeted our episode we did about the Chibo. So go back and listen to that episode if you want a deep dive. Um, that one's up 195%. So good for them. Uh, Real Matters, the tech company in the appraisal space for uh, real estate, up 155%. Shopify, up a whopping 154%, which is incredible given their market cap now. Uh, What a story out of Canada Shopify has been. Still don't own the stock, still kicking myself for missing it. So here we are. Um, Ballard Power, which does fuel cells, is up over 100%, at 106%. Um, They do fuel cells. If you are an ESG investor, you're looking for clean technology in your portfolio. Ballard is a leader right now in fuel cell. Um, And fuel cell technology is really promising. Has so much application um, with energy and with power. It's uh, really interesting. So look at Ballard Power. That's B-A-L-L-A-R-D. Canaxis. Has been a really good performer on the TSX, up 92% year-to-date. Can access the supply chain uh, tech, um, software as a service. Been a great performer. Maxar Tech, one I'm not as familiar with, a little smaller, up 68%, 60, yeah, 68.91%. Maxar Tech does, uh, they do hardware for communication services. house Systems, whoop, whoop, up 54% year-to-date. Uh, It's been a really, really good performer uh, for for my portfolio. And uh, if you want a deep dive on Ench House, go to the last episode. And then lastly, up 32% is Descartes Systems. Uh, Descartes Systems does logistics, software as a service, and it's been a great performer. So there you have it, just rifled through a couple companies to maybe consider you know, throwing on the watch list of, you know, we do have technology companies here on the TSX that have been uh, performing really well. Uh, so there's there's some names to think about. Do obviously do a deep dive. All of them trading at rich multiples, no doubt, in my mind. But uh, you know, as there could be a pullback uh, from tech, these are some some companies maybe to consider putting on the list. And if you want a full deep dive on Enchouse, well, look no further than the last episode. Are you surprised, Simon? Um, to see any of these names obviously shopify stealing every headline on the tsx lately
1: uh no i I mean i wasn't surprised for some of the names some of the names i've never heard of like uh, the uh the face drive (laughs) never heard of them before no never up 780 percent yeah which makes sense because i think it's on the tsx venture so um, it is yeah typically don't look in the venture stocks that often. Uh, But a lot of the names, obviously, they're familiar with Inch House, uh, uh, Shopify, and a few other names. I'm not surprised to see them there. And overall, I mean, tech has been on a tear since, uh, what, for the past three, four months or beginning of the year. Um, So I'm not surprised that tech overall is doing well.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So speaking of a technology play inside of healthcare I know we all we all know on this podcast that you are a big fan of Teladoc Health. Can you break down the news coming out of Teladoc cuz this is big for shareholders of of not only Teladoc but the company they merged with?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, obviously, I'm, uh, I've am i mentioned it quite a few times. Um, I'm a shareholder of Teladoc. I recently uh, trimmed my position like we had discussed. It was mostly not because I hated the company, just because I had too much concentration specifically in my TFSA. Um, so, I'll mention at the end what I'm kind of thinking of doing. Uh, but for now, so um, Teladoc will be merging. Well, they'll be buying out Livongo Health, um, but, I mean, it's more of a merge uh, than anything else because they're um, they're going to be under the Teladoc umbrella. So just to give you guys a bit more information on what the merger entails, a bit more information on Livongo itself. Um, so I did the, some digging. I also uh, listened to the conference call for the merger, which I strongly recommend that uh, people listen to it if they're interested in starting a position into Teladoc or Livongo Health. And a side note, thank you for whoever sent us the question. They asked me if I could uh, give my take on Teledog because obviously uh, they knew that I'm a shareholder. So really the, the essence of the merger is to give people and the gold the ability of um, – use real-time health data to create timely interactions and better care for patients. Um, so really, it's going to be a digital, a virtual healthcare, care, but also a physical care delivery uh, because obviously there's some things you can't do remotely. Um, there's going to be, according to management of uh, both companies, there's going to be synergies between both. Um, Livongo, just to give you a better idea, so they really... Um, their main area is chronic uh, disease care, so they they specialize in diabetes monitoring, weight management, behavioral management, and hypertension monitoring, so they really provide a database experience, and uh, it's driven by AI, and it's really data-driven, which is a bit different from Teladoc, where Teladoc, yes, it's a telemedicine platform, but a lot of... It's a platform to help people get in touch with physicians. So you can probably already start seeing why these two companies are looking to merge. Um, they only have about twenty-five percent of their client base that are uh, cross-platform. So. In both platforms. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity uh, for them to upsell clients of one platform to another. And what was interesting is the Lavongo CEO on the conference call was saying that they actually get a lot of their customers that will call them for that already use Livongo for chronic care services and will call Livongo asking, oh, I have this health problem which is not chronic. And Livongo, I mean, they can't really help them because that's not their focus. So you can really see right there how that could really be uh, like a powerful driver for um, for the new tele- teledoc entity. Um, I'll talk a bit more about the actual details of the merger. So another thing that they mention is there's more than 147 million americans so i'm not not making a mistake here 147 million americans that live with a chronic condition and about 30, a third of uh, all adults internationally that have a chronic condition. So roughly it's about 50% of Americans and 33% internationally. So there is really, there's a lot of money to be made in chronic care and there's a lot of efficiency that can be done. So their main goal is to provide better care to patients Um and obviously, chronic care has a high cost for patients and employers as well. So there's really some strong tailwinds and a lot of reasons why employers, but also customers that may not be associated with an employer that would want to go with uh, Livongo and Teladoc. Um, so the obviously, the pandemic has just accelerated all of this, and they don't see... Um, the tailwind ending anytime soon and I would tend to agree with them because once people get to use something that's as convenient and efficient as the platform that Livongo and Teladoc are offering, um, why would you go back to the old way of doing things if it's it saves you money, it's more efficient, you, probably, you get better care as well. Um, and then in terms of people that have access to teledoc currently there's about 70 million people that have access that doesn't it's not necessarily the people who've used it but they do have access through their uh, employer's insurance plan for example and 30 percent of fortune 500 companies uh, currently use the uh, services of teledoc or uh, livongo so in terms of lavongo they have very low debt right now um, their revenues have been just exploded uh, they've doubled from q1 and q2 compared to uh, last year in 2019 so they've more than doubled actually um, so just to give you guys an idea in 2019 for six months was 72 million in revenue 160 million for uh, this year and i don't think this will slow down all that much uh, anytime soon um, they're still losing money but they're very close to being cash flow positive. You guys know that I put a lot of importance on that. And overall, Ivango provides a more data-driven approach to healthcare and obviously specifically chronic uh, conditions. Um, so you can, I can really see how well this and logically how well the, uh, the combined entity, um, how it will merge together. Um, Teladoc on its hand, just a quick idea for its financials. For the first six months of 2020 compared to 2019, uh, the revenue increased 258 million to 421 million. Part of that is due to acquisitions, but they're still seeing some very quick, um, very fast organic growth. And they've actually been free cash flow positive for the first six months of 2020, which is great to see. So even though their earnings are in the negative, you see that these companies, um, the actual money coming in, Livongo is very close to being positive and Teladoc is positive in that metric. And to me, that's one of the most important things. Um, The agreements in terms of the merger agreement, um, I've read, so I I went through the uh, 8K form. So if you guys know what the 8K is, is whenever there's some unannounced uh, material information that uh, should be divulged to shareholders. Um, so you can always look at the agreement. It's kind of boring to look at. So I went through it, didn't read the whole thing, but I uh, went through it a little bit. Um, so the agreement is Livongo shareholders get 0.592 shares of Tel Dock for each share of Livongo plus $11.33 in cash. So it's really a stock deal uh, with a little bit of cash. Um, I couldn't find, I've read that some people were saying that it's the price of Teladoc as of, I think, August 5th. Um, I couldn't find that anywhere. So I don't know if it's dependent on whatever the price of Teladoc will be when the transaction is closed or they have a specific day. Um, if you guys find that info, uh, by all means, let me know. But for now, I'll just assume that it's uh, straight 0.592 shares of Teladoc plus eleven. Point thirty three when the transaction closes. Um, it's been approved by both boards, but it still has to be approved by shareholders. And the approximate revenue of both entities for 2020 will be $1.3 billion. But again, that's something... I think that will increase very quickly. Um, the tailwinds are there. Uh, I really can't see people going back to the old way of doing things. Um, so my personal opinion is I think if it's something that you're looking to invest in for the long term, and I stress long term, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future, um, you can definitely you know, dollar cost average whether you want to buy Teladoc or Livongo. That's really up to you. You can always make the calculation between both of you because sometimes when you have these agreements, one stock, they're supposed to... kind of follow the same pattern once the agreement's been in place, but depending if there's uncertainty about the deal going through or not, um, sometimes you might see some discrepancy between the two. So you just have to do the math and to see if it makes sense or not. Um, Personally, I will probably buy some Lavongo shares uh, just in case the deal doesn't go through because the more I'm reading about it, the more I actually like this company. Um, So I'd like to have a a stake in that company if the deal uh, is voted by shareholders of either Livongo or Teladoc um, so that's kind of my take on it I know uh, Brayden like we had talked you mentioned a lot of Livongo shareholders weren't too happy because they were seeing much faster re- revenue increase in Teladoc I mean I do understand that but I think from the comments I've seen a lot of those people are more short-term investors um, and for sure in the next you know two, three, four years, it's possible that, you know, it might not provide great returns, but just uh, the tailwinds and the fact that they're the market leaders now, they have all these solutions that uh, they'll have. Obviously, if uh, the, the merger goes through, they'll have all these services available under one platform, they'll be able to help people for a variety of different medical conditions, whether they're chronic or not. Um, I mean, I really, I think the sky is the limit for these uh, these two companies and the new entity that will be uh, created. So that's kind of, that's my take in a, in a nutshell. You have any comments on that, Breda?
0: Yeah, it, it's funny, you know, shareholders of Lavongo are going, well, why aren't you paying a premium? to me as a shareholder, um, <laughs> and they're forgetting the run-up that Livongo has had year-to-date, trading at well over 40 times sales, you would think that, you know, there's some sort of premium baked in there and, you know, that that may be a fair price. I mean, they're not going to give you some outrageous premium to a stock already trading at over 40 times sales. So the, de- the deal seemed seemed fair, um, for sure to me. And, you know, this, this company is stronger together. This is a big blockbuster merge, you know, telehealth telemedicine is a unbelievably massive total addressable market. And it won't be a winner takes all like that's how big it is. But this company together, um, which weren't really competitors, you mentioned 25%, uh, were, we're similar we were had the same uh crossover and customers because they did different things this company together is the makings of like a massive juggernaut in telehealth that is like a winner takes most scenario where you gotta start paying attention to this secular trend and this is this is the leader right here um you know the thing that Listen. Listening to the CEO of of uh, TeleDoc speak, he's so optimistic about the growth trajectory, not only of TeleDoc but this company moving forward. Um, he has like this like smile in his in his uh, explanation of of describing it, and you you really do think like, whoa, you know, this isn't just like you know, COVID twenty twenty. Uh, growth like it seems like this is this is definitely going to persist for a while how long I don't know the growth is unbelievably strong so definitely a premium you're paying but you know one to keep on your watch list definitely if you don't already own a position uh, you know Simon you're gonna retire off into the sunset being a bag holder of this thing so uh, you know it's uh, things look good for Teladoc moving forward Things look good for telehealth moving forward as an industry, the total addressable market. If you were to look at all the verticals, like Livongo is a different vertical, you know? Do you think, you know, as a shareholder, do you think Teladoc becomes this acquisition machine? It just makes so much sense to for me to be, you know, one of many, many roll-ups coming into the future, um, it just makes complete sense to me.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, traditionally TeleDoc has that, uh, done a lot of acquisitions, and it's it's a big merger. Don't get me wrong, but uh, they do have a solid track r- record, and their current CEO, um, I believe his first name is Jason, if I remember correctly. Jason Gors-
0: um, Gorzek, is that right? Gorzek.
1: Yeah, I didn't, wanna- <laughs> I didn't want to. It could be Gorzeck. Who knows? Yeah, but he's as you said, like he's very passionate, and he's not. It's not he's not been saying this stuff for the past 6 months he's been saying that since like 4 5 6 years even further down i think since he took over as ceo of teladoc and he's really passionate about it and i that is one of the things that i do like and for me just adding to my position is not that i wanted to sell my position before it was the main driver for me for selling a little bit of teladoc was that it was in all in my tfsa and uh, I like my TFSA to be a bit more um, balanced. Um, so definitely I'm looking to add uh, either Teladoc or Livongo, but probably more Livongo to my RRSP. But uh, yeah, it's probably going to still be an acquisition play uh, going forward. Um, I mean, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't again, but there's going to be tremendous um, tremendous organic growth too. That's my, my opinion on it.
0: And it's, it's well warranted. All right, moving on. We've been getting questions about investing in, uh, you know, broadly outside of North America, namely China. Investors have a reason to be hesitant. I think it's not uh, without a good basis of investing in China, given, uh, you know, some frauds we've seen, uh, luck in coffee to, to say, you know, one that's been on the headlines but also like not just in China, you know, Wirecard had this big fraud during this COVID environment. Uh, whoops, there's 2 billion missing on the balance sheet. Sorry about that. Uh, so these things happen, right? And how do you avoid them? How do you trust it? What's going on? And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a fair, it's a fair question. Um, so Simon, so mean, I'm interested to know your take on investing in China it's uh, obviously a massive, massive market. And, uh, you know, with the tensions going on right now between the U.S. and China in terms of economic powerhouses, especially in the technology sector, it seems like the two companies will have this kind of own ecosystem of technology. Uh, that's just what I'm predicting. Um and, and that is a risk for many, many companies, even in, in America, if there were to be or, you know, like, like a NASDAQ stocks, if there were to be a ban on the other side from China's perspective, think of the implications of this WeChat thing if they weren't allowed to be on iPhones with a huge, you know, I think well over 20% of iPhone sales are in China. Um, and if they weren't allowed to have WeChat, which is their messaging platform that every single one, person uses, wasn't allowed to be on an iPhone, um, that definitely affects Apple stock and definitely will be a huge hit to their iPhone revenue. So I'm interested in, to see what your take has been on uh, not only this back and forth China and China the US but also just investing in China and and that leap of faith given you might not be as familiar with those businesses you might not have intimately used them um and there has been a history of fraud
1: yeah so i mean i do own some chinese stock i used to own jd.com i sold that uh, but i still own tencent um the way I see it, well, first of all, before I get going on this, is uh, if you guys have not seen this uh, this movie, The China Hustle, definitely watch it before you actually invest in China. Um, they uncovered a lot of frauds that were going on in the early uh, 2010s, about seven, eight years ago, um, that were companies that were... You know, doing fake revenues, just pumping their uh, their revenue ten times of what they were actually were, and the problem with China is uh, the government in place, right? So they, I mean, they protect their companies. Uh, there's no punishment for the most part, for companies doing frauds that are listed in the U.S. Um, So there's definitely increased risk. Um, There's also the auditing that, yes, the big uh, auditing firms tend to have a presence over there, but they usually... Are hired by the companies you can make a case that sometimes they'll be biased because if uh, you know they say bad things they might not uh, be rehired later on so there's definitely some risk there even if it gets audited you never know for sure when it's in china if those numbers are accurate so that's something you have to be aware when you're investing Um, i would say diversify don't invest too heavily in one single chinese company Uh, make it a not too big portion of your portfolio if you're looking to invest, and just be aware of those risks. I mean, when you're investing, you know, fraud can happen. Uh, like, we're talking about China now, but fraud can happen in the U.S. Uh, if we think about Enron, for example, but there's countless other examples of the U.S., um, you know, some things that, uh fraudulent operations, but, uh Yeah, that's something you just need to be aware of when you're investing in China. And then obviously you have all the tensions with TikTok and all the digital plays that uh, the U.S. is putting sanctions right now. Um, So it's definitely interesting, to say the least. But be aware of the risk. Fraud can happen. um, And you can avoid being hurt too much by that if you invest in China by making sure you're well diversified.
0: Good point. The China Hustle is great, by the way. That's a that's a Netflix one, I think, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a Netflix yeah.
0: one. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it it's really alarming in that documentary when they pull up like boots on the ground research, and they go to company X listed on like the NYSE or like over the counter, uh, and it is not a real business reporting fake financial statements, just complete fabrications. And you definitely get a little hesitant about investing in a market where that can happen so often. So this goes down, like, I'll give my take. I don't own any OTC Chinese stocks. I should have bought Tencent three years ago when I was gonna, but I didn't. Um, that's a mistake. I see you're, you're a shareholder and that company I know is profoundly massive in China. Like I was just talking about WeChat and WePay. Those are, those are 10 cent, right? Um, you look at that and you go, this is a real business. If you don't understand what you own at all, well, that's just out of your circle of competence. And and this is just like investing 101, like know what you own. If you don't know the business well enough, and let alone you can't even like seeing is believing, you've never even seen that business because they only operate in China. You are taking a, a leap of faith that requires You know, some really knowing what you own, what you own, because if it's one of those cases where this company is really suffering and revenues are about to decline in a major way, and you're not going to find out until that quarterly report comes out and it's too late, that's really crappy as a shareholder. So you got to know what you own, and if it is completely out of your circle of competence, because geographically it is so far from what you've experienced as potentially a customer, knowing about the company, blah, 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 blah. then it's, uh, you're in for a rough ride as an investor, just long-term for the most part. So that's where I sit on on that, that case. I think it's the only true uh, risk and market cap correlation in my mind. I don't think that there's this inherent risk Of owning smaller market capitalization companies. But when it comes to investing overseas in a market like China, there is that correlation for me because I don't know that company. I don't know that 2 billion in market cap company growing very fast in China that does only business in China. Completely out of my circle of competence. So that's where I stand on it. You got to know what you own. If there's a great company, that's that's uh, a Chinese stock or international stock. You see SE Limited, which is you know a very it's like ten cent for the rest of like Southeast Asia. What an unbelievable performer that has been! They're doing e-commerce, they're doing uh, gaming, uh, they're doing uh, payments, they're doing that whole ecosystem, same as like a Mercado Libre does in South America just like absolute domination in so many sectors of tech then those companies yeah i can get behind it i get it hundreds and millions of active user daily active users that's legit so that's where i stand um well do you own anything else other than uh than tencent and uh,
1: i mean i like c uh c limited yeah Um, um, so i I do like that one um alibaba jd.com if you're looking for an e-commerce play those are probably companies that would look at the the, i would personally stay a bit more in the big names um aside from that an approach if you want exposure to china because don't don't get us wrong like there's still some really good companies in china it's just the transparency is not the same as it is in the u.s canada and western europe so you really have to keep that in mind another approach is you know you take a portion of your portfolio and you just dedicate an ETF that's low low fees um, dedicated to China. That way you get the upside associated with that overall market and you minimize the risk of owning a single company. Because when you guys watch that movie, The China Hustle, that's what's so sad about that movie is you have people that basically put their life savings into like just a few Chinese companies. And that's really what you want to avoid.
0: Bring up a great point because i'm talking about like i have no exposure to china five percent of my portfolio <laughs> is around five percent is actually in uh vanguard's emerging markets ticker vee which is over 50 percent china
1: yeah i was uh, gonna say it's heavily chinese weighted it's, it's
0: heavily chinese weighted so there are other emerging markets in there but i look at that as like my china etf even though there are other markets in there by allocation, geographical allocation. It's mostly China. So yeah, I mean, uh, there's multiple ways to go about doing that. Again, you're going to be buying these individual companies in US dollars on like OTC, like over the counter, more than likely. So something to consider I think we both are very aligned on that. Stick to the big names because you'll probably have more insights about them.
1: Yeah, and just one last thing, not to harp too much on China, but uh, you mentioned the Wirecard scandal in Germany. Um, It just goes to show Germany is usually a pretty transparent um, country when it comes to publicly traded companies. And even uh, Angela Merkel was really touting the benefits of Wirecard, and it was like national pride in, uh, in Germany just to see, like you said, there was like $2 billion missing on the balance sheet. So it just goes to show there could there can be fraud anywhere. So that's a risk you have to understand that it is there when you're investing. It probably is obviously more prevalent in China, but it can happen anywhere. It can happen in the U.S. and can happen in Canada. It can happen absolutely anywhere.
0: It can. Next week, Shopify comes out. By the way, we lied. Uh, we didn't have 100% quarter growth. It was actually... It was actually 200%. Shopify? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna say, we, uh, we made a mistake. We didn't have 100% revenue growth in one quarter. It was actually 200%. I, I, I'm just, I, this company is just absolutely d- dominating right now. Um, I think that's good for this episode, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, go give us five stars on Apple Podcast right now. I get so many emails. We love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for the podcast. Uh, how do I say thanks? Well, you can say thanks. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Tell us what you think. Uh, that's that's all we ask. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.